Parashat Vayichi. End of Sefer Breshit. Conclusion of the beginning. Role models. Who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to aspire to. I want to share with you a horrendous story for a reason. I think at one point I, I shared with you about a sefer that had a profound impact on me. A sefer called Mima Makim. Mima Makim. From the depths. It was written by Rafrai Mashri. Rafrai Mashri was one of the last rabbis of the Kovno ghetto. And the story of him is longer over Shabbos. If you remind me, for those of you who don't know, I'll tell you his story. But um, he eventually was put in charge of a, basically a library, a warehouse, that they were gathering all these farim for the museum to the extinct Jewish race that was supposed to be set up in Prague after the war. And he eventually realized that they had put him in charge of, of a base medrash. I mean, a huge warehouse full of farim. Nazis were nothing if not fanatical organizers. So they had a, a Jew whose job it was to codify and, and index all, cross-reference all this farm, all the items that were in there. And he got friendly with this guy, and he basically had a base vendors with Sfarim. Now, people heard that he had access to Sfarim, which was unheard of in the ghetto, and they began to bring him their questions. And never mind the answers, the unbelievable questions. And he started to realize the value of what was happening now, he couldn't answer them the way he would have as a posate before the war. He didn't have the time to... It was too dangerous. But he answered as best he could, and he wrote down the questions and his answers in little scripts so he would remember what they were. And when they, he got enough scripts, he put them into little cans, and he buried them, and he hid them. And he survived the war. That itself is an amazing story. My father-in-law actually knew him. He ended up in South Africa for a while. He survived the war and eventually managed to dug up these cans, dig up these cans in Kovno. And he published them as a five-volume set called Mima Makim. I believe that set is out of print. I have one volume in my office. It's very hard to get. If anybody wants to see the original volume. But um, there is an annotated version, sections of it, called The Holocaust and Halacha, which I think you can still get, which is an incredible safer. And in each... Shuva, and of course after the war he went back and he researched and he sort of added sort of the wider scope so Mamash reads like a tshuva like a responsive with all the halachic implications but what's interesting is that at the beginning of each of these tshuvos he shares the story of how the question came to him so in one particular tshuva he tells the following story they gathered all the Jews from this little town into the central square. And you all know the recipe. The Ansatzgruppen came to town. They gathered all the Jews. They posted up the edicts. You're not allowed to learn Torah. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. Then you had to wear the yellow stars. Then they closed off the area into a ghetto where they took you off into the forest, and that was the end of it. And this seems to be the day of the first day of an Aktion where eventually most of this most of this town was murdered. And a person comes to Rafraim Ashri and asks him whether he has to fast and whether he has to do tshuva because he witnessed a terrible, terrible thing. They gathered the, 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 the people in the town and the Nazis figured out there were always people they could pressure into giving them this information. They figured out who the Dayanim, who the big Rabbanim were, and they brought the Bezdin before the whole community. 
three rabbis. And then they took a Sefer Torah and they unrolled it and they threw it on the ground. And then they told one of these Rabbanim that he should spit on the Sefer Torah. Spit on the Sefer Torah, I mean. Without getting into all the halachic implications. Chil Hashem, Hesia, more than 10 people. The Rav refused. So the Nazis shot him in the head. Then he said to the next rabbi, spit on the Sefer Torah. This Rav has no suffix what's going to happen to him. He refuses to spit. SS officer puts his pistol to the guy's head and kills him. It's impossible to imagine what this does to a tzibur, to see their Rabbanim. And then the SS officer, with a smile, looks at the third rabbi. Undain, and you? He doesn't have to tell him what he has to do. And this Rav has a dilemma. On the one hand, how could you spit in a Sefer Torah? On the other hand, this is your Kehillah. If you don't spit in the Sefer Torah, they'll shoot you, and they'll have no Rav. And could you think of a time where a community needs a Rav more than a situation like that? So with tears rolling down his face, listening to the cries of his community begging him to spit, he spits on the Sefer Torah, and the Nazi starts to laugh, and he yells at him to spit again. And he spits again. And this goes on for some time. Until finally, the Jew has no more spit left. His mouth is dried up from the pain and the angst. And the Nazi realizes he can't spit. He's trying to, and he can't spit. So the Nazi tells him to open his mouth. And he opens his mouth. And the Nazi spits into his mouth. He says, now spit again. And the community is watching this. And eventually this Rav is killed as well. And one of the older Jews understands what's happening here. Realizes that groups are being taken, they're not coming back. So he walks over to the SS officer, and I might be mixing up two stories together, but walks over to the SS officer and he says to him, it's my understanding that in your culture, a person is allowed one last request before he dies. I'd like to request the opportunity to say a blessing before I die for the community. So the Nazi looks at him, he starts to laugh. <laughs> and he thinks about it, he says, okay, I'll grant you your last request. And so the Jew looks at the community and he begins to make a bracha. Now what bracha would you make? You're in a courtyard like that. What pasuk would you quote? What emotion would you feel? They could say what they want. They won't succeed. There's so many psukim that comes to mind. What is this fellow? It's a true story. He looks at the community and he makes the following bracha. Baruch atah Hashem, Elokeinu melech haolam, shalom asani goyim. So the Nazi is curious. And he asks him, what blessing do you make? Or what was that blessing? So the Jew explains to him, I thanked God, I blessed God, that he didn't make me into one of the nations of the world, a non-Jew. And the Nazi starts to laugh. And he looks at him, he says, fool. He says, if you weren't Jewish, 
you wouldn't be in this predicament now. Maybe you'd be wearing one of the uniforms instead of being one of the victims. And he looks at him like he's an idiot. And the Jew looks at him and he says, if God has decreed that there will be murderers and there will be people who are murdered, then there will be murderers and people who are murdered. I'm thankful that I'm one of the murdered and not one of the murderers. Now, I thought about this question. I can't even tell you how long that story stuck in my head. And the reason it stuck in my head so much was because it blew my mind that a person in a situation like that could make that bracha. How, how does a person, how is he not overcome with rage, with anger? You know, I'll tell you something. In war, I'm not talking about like you get shot at, I'm talking about serious warfare. There are three great challenges in war. And I imagine that's just the experience that I look at this lens through. I'm sure this is true for other situations, but for me. The first is fear. We've spoken about that. You know, it's terrifying. How do you overcome your fear? You put yourself in Hashem's hands. We've spoken about that. The second is depression, which is related to exhaustion. The, the, the inability to sleep, the, the desire that wraps up your whole being. You just want to curl into a ball and be able to close your eyes. And, and the, the incredible depression and sadness that that descends upon you is, is indescribable. And then there's a third. The third is rage. There are things that you see, some people. Shall have it pass was a seven-month, maybe a nine-month-old infant sitting in a baby carriage. She was taken out as a baby by a Palestinian sniper in Tel Rumeda in, in Hebron. How do you not get filled with rage? Now, don't get me wrong. We all understand that if you get filled with rage, it destroys your life. It's simple to explain why it's not good to be filled with rage. Nobody gains from being filled. But how do you do that? Now, why do I raise this question? Because this is the story of Yosef. Think about this for a minute. There is a story at the end of Parshat Vayechi. And it's fascinating that this is almost the end of the entire book of Breshit. Now, if you ask someone who's never studied Torah, what is this book? I mean, I know we call it five books, and hopefully over Shabbat at some point, I'm going to share with you why it's really one book, if you remind me, but okay. But it's divided into five books. What is the book of Torah? So people will say it's a book of mitzvot, which is true, but if it's a book of mitzvot, it doesn't start with mitzvot. How many mitzvot are there in the first book? People say it's a book of history, but it doesn't make sense as a book of history. There are major events that are not included. There's an enormous amount of time spent on things that seem to be innocuous. It's a recipe for life. And Judaism, Hashem, chooses to begin the recipe for life with role models. That's where you start. You're born, you're two years old. You're beginning your journey into life. What does Hashem give you at the beginning of life? He gives you models. And if you have good role models... And that's an enormous impact. This is the end of the book of role models. Everything in this book carries a message of how we're supposed to be as individuals. The next book, Shmot, is going to be how we become a nation. We'll get to that. So one of the last lessons that the Torah gives me is the following story. This is in Perak Nun Pasuk Tetvav, 50 verse 15. 
Yaakov dies. They bury him in Canaan, their home, and they go back to Egypt. That's a mind-boggling thought, but not for now. And they see that Yaakov is dead. Now, you're the brothers. You're in Egypt. Yosef is the Mishnah Lamelech. He's, he's the second in command of the entire world, basically. And Yaakov just died. What goes through your mind? What goes through your mind? You're the brothers of Yosef, and Yosef is the ruler. What goes through your mind? Come on. Fear. Why are you afraid? Because maybe Yosef's going to finally take his revenge. And the reason that that will go through your mind is because that's normal. That's just what most people would do. So the brothers of Yosef, it's interesting, it doesn't say the children of Israel. It doesn't say they are now the brothers of Yosef. Right? That's their, their identity in this story. You know, it's like sometimes a boy will come to a writer and, you know, maybe his older brother went here. Right? And I'm very careful. I try very hard not to think of a boy as like, you know, whoever's little brother. Because that's not your identity. Maybe he's your big brother. You should be you and he should be you. When the Torah does this, it does this for a reason. In this story, they're the brothers of Yosef. And they're afraid. What does it mean, yistemenu? Lest Yosef, anybody want to take a guess? Hold a grudge. I'm going to show you this in the Rambam. Maybe he's holding on to this. Maybe the whole time now he's been so nice is because Yaakov's alive. Now it's all going to come out. And he's going to finally pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. That's a powerful word. It doesn't say Vayomru, they say. It doesn't say Vayivakshu, they request it. Vayitzavu. They give him a tzivui. They command him. That's unbelievable. They command you. Vayitzavu at Yosef Lemor. Avichat Sivalifnemoto. They're passing on a command. They're saying, you should know your father. Yeah, they're reminding him. This is his father. Now, it's interesting that they can say that. Because one would have thought, 22 years earlier, the last thing that Yosef would think of Yaakov is that he's his father anymore. He never came looking for him. But somehow that relationship is rebuilt. That's also another discussion. Right? And he said before he died, Ko Yosef, so should you say to Yosef. Anasana pesha achecha. That's a language of forgiveness. Of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgive the iniquity of your brothers. They're accepting that they did a terrible thing. Vichatatam and their mistake. That's for another discussion. Kiraag malucha. Because I know they did evil to you. Vyatasana la pesha avdeya Forgive the iniquity of the servants of the God of your father. Now, this is what a Kosh Baruch wants. That's unbelievable. First of all, it's interesting. What would be your automatic question? The brothers come to you, Yaakov told us to tell you. What would be your obvious question? Yeah, why didn't Yaakov just tell me? Two possible answers. And they are? Right? The brothers say, Yaakov told us to tell you that you have to forgive us. So Yosef should say, well, why didn't he tell me? Two possible answers. One answer is, 
because, he ne- because Yaakov never said this. One possibility is they made this up. Normally, it, one would expect to find, right, Yaakov and Yaakov called his brothers and said, we just went through a whole Vayichi. He's giving tzavot, he's giving brachot, it doesn't say that anywhere. Some of us say, Yaakov never said this. The boys are terrified, but they understood that they had no leg to stand on. And the other possibility is, Yaakov did tell Yosef this. But for some reason, the brothers don't know that Yaakov said this. Okay. Pause. Now you're Yosef. What feeling are you feeling? I would think that you're experiencing a moment of rage. Yaakov has passed away. When you lose someone special, you think about what you had and you think about what you lost. He lost 22 years. He lost his youth. Who knows what he lost? Which is what makes this amazing. And he begins to cry. Doesn't sound like rage. And his brothers fall before him. And since it says gam, they participate. They're also, are they crying? Are they... We will be your servants. They don't understand. They, he's crying. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for the outburst. They're waiting for the explosion. They haven't had the explosion yet. It's been, by the way, 22 years he was a slave, 22 years now until Yaakov dies. Yaakov gets back that that's a whole discussion, right? So, so it's been a while. Don't be afraid. Am I God? Do you mistake me for God? It's not that Yosef doesn't think they did a terrible thing. He knows they did a terrible thing. You thought to do me evil. Elohim Hashem decided it would be good. In fact, because this happened, I can sustain a great nation. The entire world, certainly the great empire of Egypt, is sustained because you did what you did. Hashem did that and sent me for this mission. Yosef comforts them, speaks to their heart. It's unbelievable. There is no anger. There is no rage. In fact, Instead of the brothers trying to assuage Yosef, Yosef is assuaging the brothers. How do you do that? By the way, if you could pick a trait of Yosef that would live up to the rabbinic appellate for him, which is that he's a tzaddik, this would be it. I mean, that's a tzaddik. For someone to do that to you, if you have no anger, how does he do that? Now, by the way, this is not a new phenomenon. This is something that we see through the whole story of Yosef, right? Remember back in Perak Lamed Zayin, in Parshat Vayeshev, when, when Yosef is thrown into the pit, right? Vayafshitu et Yosef, this is Perak Lamed Zayin, Pasuk Chav Gimel, Vayafshitu in the 37th chapter, Vayafshitu, they strip Yosef et Ketuntah of his technicolor coat, Vayikachuhu, Vayishlichu oto abora, and they throw him into a pit, right? And they sit down to have lunch. And they see the Yishmaelites and whatever else is going on. What's missing from this story? I'm going to read it again. They strip Yosef. They throw him in a pit. They sit down to have lunch. 
They see the Ishmaelim coming, let's sell him, let's kill him, what are we going to do with him? What's missing here? It doesn't say anything. There is no reaction from Yosef. Now you're right. Later, Ruvain, when he's nervous about what happens in Egypt, would say, We didn't hear when he was crying to us. There is a big debate as to whether they actually heard his cries and ignored it, or they assumed that he cried. Some of the first would say, no, we don't see that he cried. So it's just that Ruvain is imagining. By the way, if you look carefully, Ruvain wasn't there. Remember, Ruvain leaves and comes back. So when Ruvain says, and he cried out, he just assumes that he cried out, but he didn't cry out, maybe. There's no reaction. The Torah doesn't give us a reaction. But it doesn't end there. Right? Keep going. What happens next? The Midianites take him out of the pit. It's a whole discussion. Who really took Yosef? Who really sold him? That's another discussion. They take him out of a pit. Right? And they sell him. No reaction. Yosef doesn't say anything. There's no begging. What would you say? You're Yosef, the son of Yaakov, and they want to sell you. Now let's just think for a minute. What would be the logical thing to say? This is not rocket science. I'm your brother. Nope, these are Midianites. Invaluable. I'm valuable. My father's a wealthy guy. He came up in Vayishlach and he has Mikneirav. He's the grandson of Avram who fought kings. You just stole Bill Gates' son. You're going to sell him into slavery in the Philippines. Bill Gates, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm Junior Gates. The, uh, whatever you're going to get. He doesn't say anything. That's unbelievable. Now maybe he does and the Torah doesn't tell us. That would seem to be a pretty significant omission. But it doesn't end there. Then you go to Paraklamatet. What's the next big issue that happens to Yosef? Where he is again silent. Paraklamatet Vasakhaf. This is, by the way, by far the most amazing part of the story, right? So Potiphar's wife, Fatanach, right? She, um, let me just find this, sorry. She speaks to, to Yosef, Yom, Yom, he's not listening to her. She wants to sleep with him. This day, he comes to do his work. Look, he's a slave. He has to be in the house. Nobody else is there. She grabs him. And she says to him, sleep with me. And he leaves his clothes in her hand. He doesn't take advantage of her. He, doesn't, he runs out. What is she experiencing? She's experiencing anger. She's had it with him. She's going to get him now. Him? No reaction. So his clothing was with her. Right? Now the, the husband, Potiphar, gets angry. Right? Your slave did this to me. He gets mad, angry. So they throw him in prison. And Yosef doesn't say a word. No reaction. Again and again and again. So what is, what's really going on here? What is the clue here? Now we've talked about this before, right? Yosef has a unique opportunity here at the end of the book. What mitzvah does Yosef have an opportunity to fulfill that he does not fulfill? 
mitzvah. He doesn't give them tocha. Right? According to the Rambam, that is the sixth mitzvah of the eleven mitzvah in Sefer Deon. It's a pasuk. You're supposed to tell a person off when you see him doing something wrong. Yosef saw what the brothers did. He tells them that they did an evil thing. He doesn't give them tocha. Or does he? And how does Yosef avoid anger? Now there is a clue. Because there is a common theme. There is a very interesting pasuk that we find here. Okay? If you look in Periclamentet, it occurs twice, the exact same words. Right? When Yosef, Yosef Hurad Mitzrayma, Yosef is taken down to Egypt, right? Vayikneu Potiphar, he's bought by Potiphar, he doesn't say anything. What does it say? Vayihi Hashem et Yosef. And Hashem is with or at Yosef. What does that mean? Right? Hashem is looking out for Yosef. Interesting. You see this exact same Pasuk, right? Right? Vayikach Adonai Yosef Oto, Vayitnei Albeit Asor, when Potiphar throws him in prison, it says also, Vayihi Hashem et Yosef. Hashem is with Yosef. Right? That's interesting. But what's more interesting is not that Hashem is with Yosef. What's more interesting, if you look in Perak Mem Pasukhet, right? These two, the baker and the butler come to speak to him. We've dreamed a dream. Only God can resolve dreams. Hashem has the answers, not me. As much as it's Vayhi Hashem at Yosef, it's also Vayhi Yosef at Hashem. Hashem is with, Yosef is with Hashem. And I find this again, when you look at the story with Paro, right? So we're in um, Parshat Miketz. And... Right, Paro brings in these dreams. Now this is a much stronger statement, and we don't have time to get into this. I think this may be the result of the debacle that he has with the baker and the butler. If you look carefully in those psukim at the end of Parshat Vayeshev, it appears that for a moment Yosef forgets. That's an interesting question. What mistake Yosef made? It says Vayishkachayu. Right. Look at the end of Pasuk at Parshat Vayeshev. Velo zachar Sarah Mashkim et Yosef Vayishkachayu. Right. The, the the butler doesn't remember you. Yosef says, "Please remember me to Paro because you had a good ending. Remember me." And it says he doesn't remember him. Vayishkachayu and he forgets him. So the Farshim say, "Well, if he doesn't remember, him, he also forgets him." So Rashi says. Mikan mipnei shatala bo Yosef lezachro huskak liot asir shteishani. Yosef puts his faith in the butler instead of in Akarish Baruch Hu. That costs him two years of his life. That is a very difficult question. What does that mean, Yosef puts his faith in the butler? You have to do your shtablos. Hashem sent the butler, so I got to try. So that's a discussion maybe for Shabbat. Maybe to make up for that, Yosef doesn't just say Hashem has the answers. Yosef says, Biladai. I have nothing to do with this. I am just a vessel. Elohim ya'aneh shlom paro. Right? And that is exactly what Yosef says when the brothers confront him. Eta Elohim And what does Yosef say at the end? Right? 
אלוהים חשבה לטובה. למען עסק היום הזה לאחיות עם רב. There was an actor named Christopher Reeves. Anybody heard that name? You know who Christopher Reeves was? Who did he play? Remember? He was Superman. Christopher Reeves, he was the original Superman. Or not the original. The original was something also Reeves. Clark Reeves? I don't know. The original Clark Kent was, was also Reeves. Anyway, Christopher Reeves was Superman. And he was riding. He was horseback riding. And he had a terrible accident. And he became a paraplegic. He was literally paralyzed from the neck down. He couldn't even breathe on his own. It's remarkable to me that a person chooses to will to live. And he created a whole foundation to help paraplegic. Unbelievable what he did. Acts of kindness. I mean, he was a wealthy guy. And it was especially powerful because this was Superman. So I once saw him interviewed. It was one of those, like, I'm going somewhere and the TV's on. I was living with my in-laws over their house for a year when we were first married. And my mother-in-law would always watch a TV show sort of while she was doing dishes and I would have to go out to a night job to teach and she would always make me dinner and I would watch whatever 15 minutes were on the show. You know, Christopher Reeves or Oprah Winfrey or whatever it was, right? Or Larry King. This is a Larry King show and Christopher Reeves is being interviewed. And I stopped to watch this. And Larry King, I'll never forget this, Larry King says to Christopher Reeves, so like, like how do you do this? I mean, you were Superman. And, and you have a son, right? And he says, yeah, I have a son, you know, he's like three years old, five years old. He says, and you'll never, you'll never get to throw a ball, to teach your son to throw a ball. How do you do that? How do you stay, how do you stay? And Christopher Reeves looks at him and he says, you know what I learned from this whole experience? It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. You know, there's a woman in Israel, an amazing woman, who was, uh, she, she was awarded Pras Israel, the Israel Prize, the highest honor for a civilian in Israel. Every year they uh, award, the, award this prize in certain categories. Rav Lichtenstein was granted an Israel Prize, which was a big kid of Hashem and a big deal. That's the caliber. This woman's name is Miriam Peretz. Maybe some of you have heard of her. She lost a son in, I'm going to get the dates wrong, but in the late 90s, Her son was killed in Lebanon, I believe it was. And uh, that's a terrible, devastating... Her son was an officer in Milani. And about uh, some, I don't know, eight or ten years later, she gets a knock on the door again. She had a second, this time Eli Raz. And he was a samchat, he was a deputy brigade commander. And he was in Aza, if I'm not getting the stories wrong. And he was killed as well. How do you do that twice? And her husband died of a broken heart. And she's an amazing woman. She somehow decided that she wasn't going to let this break her. And among the many things she's done, she took it upon herself. Every time a soldier falls, every time a family um, becomes a mishpacha shakula, a bereaved family from the army, she goes to the shiva. And I once uh, was at a, in a program and she came to speak and she was telling the story. And somebody asked her, what do you say at the shiva? And she said, she tells the family that there's a question you can't ask and there's a question you should. The question you can't ask is the lama. You can't ask why. Because you'll never be able to answer that question. But you can ask lama ani, why me? Which is less about why God does what he does and more about what am I meant to do with this? 
Why was I given this challenge? What am I going to do with this? So here's what I think. Yosef is not calling out to the brothers in the pit because he's trying to figure out what just happened. Now, if Yosef thinks his brothers threw him in the pit, then that must be devastating. What if Yosef is thinking, why did Hashem throw me in this pit? All he knows is that he's in a pit. If I'm in this pit, there's a reason I'm in this pit. I guess I gotta wait and see what Hashem wants. And then Yosef wonders why he's being sold. And then Yosef wonders why he's in servitude. In other words, this is the suitcase that Yosef is given, and Yosef has to decide what to do with it. Right? That's the essence. Yosef doesn't give the brothers tochacha. We'll get to tochacha later in the year. Right? Yosef doesn't give the, the brothers tochacha. How does one not? So it's interesting. The Rambam in the Rambam in Perak Vav and Hilchodeot. We're not up to this yet, but we'll get there. Very, very powerful halacha. We'll finish with this. The Rambam says the following. Perak Vav. It's my favorite Perak in Hilchodeot. It says like this. What is a chait? A person makes a mistake. A person does something terrible to someone else. Lo yistemenu. He shouldn't hold it in. Now that is the exact word that Yosef used. And that's where the Rambam gets it from. And I think that the Rambam is learning this from Yosef, but okay, you could debate that. Lo yistemenu v'yishtok. You shouldn't be silent. Yosef is not silent. Yosef says you did an evil thing. And he gives an example that's not for now. Right? Ella, what does he have to do? Mitzvah lav lahotio. You have to let him know. Velomalo, and to say to him, Lama asita likach vekach. Why did you do this to me? Velama chatata li bidvar ploni. Shnema ocheach tochech atamitacha. Right? Now, lahotia is not to yell, it's not to scream, and it's not to berate. You have to let him know. If you can't let it go, then you've got to let him know. The second thing that's interesting here is you're asking him as a question. Why did you do this to me? And later we're going to see that the Ramam says that the higher level is that you don't have to give a person tocha because you don't have that question. Because you know it wasn't him that did it to you. This is so much bigger than what you did to me. This is the life that I'm given by something much greater than you. So why it is that you became the vehicle for that and what you have to learn for that, that's my mitzvah to tell you. My mitzvah is to share with you, look, there's something for you to learn. Hashem chose you to do a terrible thing. You gotta think about that. That's not my job. And because Yosef is able to completely remove the anger of... Because if you know that it's Hashem, then how could you be angry? If you know that Hashem loves you, and Hashem created you, and Hashem decided that you need to be... I don't understand. I'm sitting in an Eichmann box. Do you understand this? Look at this. This is ridiculous. This looks like I have a movie. I have to keep asking you to raise your voice when you ask a question because I can't hear you through two levels of plastic. It's claustrophobic. So you could be upset about this. This is crazy. Or you could say, this is fascinating to me. Why does Hashem want the world to live like this right now? What are we meant to learn from this? What are we meant to do with this? That's the challenge of Yosef. So there's a lot more to talk about, but we're going to stop here. Hashem should bless us to be challenged by the things that happen to us. To be able to let go of the imperceptibles, the anger, the mistaken perception that someone did this to us. 
and understand that these things are somehow gifts. Sometimes we'll figure them out and sometimes we won't. And as we develop the ability to have that attitude, we'll live a completely different life. So that's a little food for thought on Parshat Vayechi.